I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's our midweek Wednesday show. We're live on YouTube. Appreciate everybody for tune, uh, tuning in. How you doing, man? Good. You? It's good to see you're in the seat at the start of the show this I time. don't know what you're talking about. I didn't realize on that clip it had something zooming right through the camera when we started the other day. I mean, look, sometimes you gamble that you've got enough time to make it to the drink fountain and back again. And sometimes that gamble doesn't you go your way. You could do that in eight seconds? I could. I made it there and I made it back. The problem was the stupid drink thing takes like an hour and a half to fill a cup. So you didn't calculate properly. I, I, I was only judging my part of this. Yeah. I knew that I had the speed to make it know. there and back. At least you know your speed. What I didn't realize was just how slow that machine fills a cup of water. So today's show, we've got to, uh, we got to talk a little Monday Night Football. Bills, Titans incredible game another awesome game on monday night on uh well just in prime time in general the nfl has really delivered those particular games we'll have a little thursday night football preview baker mayfield out is he officially out out yep. i know they, they recommended that he should be out he's gonna no, the, browns, out. the browns are going to take that recommendation case keenum's getting the start so we'll preview browns and broncos this week and uh and talk you know we've got some emails and uh, we appreciate those emails we want to get more emails from you nfl podcast at pff.com continued email we had a bunch actually this week and at least one makes the cut here is that right yeah all right so uh where do you want to start uh well monday night football right all right let's start with monday night football the tennessee titans win moving to four and two what a perception change of course the the titans just lost to the jets a couple weeks ago and you know the titans it's been like an uncomfortable season for the Titans. The offense up and down and a lot of drops and King Henry. We had a whole PFF daily on uh, Derrick Henry and talking about if he was an MVP candidate. But it, the Titans are 4-2 and two now, like just like the Bills. And uh, the perception for both teams is all over the place. What are your thoughts on that game and the, the crazy finish? Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about it a lot on the daily that Derrick Henry is just different to everybody else. It was one of the first PFF dailies we ever did asking, hey, we know running backs don't matter, but does Derrick Henry matter? Is he different? And I think the conclusion all the way back then was, I mean, yeah, <laughs> he does. He is breaking the rules that we have for running backs and all the things we know about how much they're a product of everything around them and, you know, the, the sort of unsustainable things being unsustainable and eventually coming back down to earth they don't appear to be with henry and you know our guy tej has run some numbers showing that look generally speaking the more carries a running back gets the idea that he gets stronger as the game goes on generally it's it's not true it's random right the more like you you look at the graphs and the more carries running backs get they go all over the place some go up some go down it's completely random there's no like signal in the noise and then you get Derrick Henry, and it goes up and up and up, and it, it, like Derrick Henry is different. Now, again, whether or not it comes back down to earth at some point is debatable. It may do, but he's reached the Tom Brady category for me in terms of I'm not looking for that anymore. Like at some point, Tom Brady is not is going to stop playing like the best quarterback in the NFL. You're not gonna. You're not looking for regression. You're not waiting right. for that one but game I've where given it's like, up, there it is. I've given up like anticipating it at some point Brady will no longer be the best quarterback in the NFL but given that he's 44 and looking better than he's ever looked before I'm done searching for that point right it it should have already hit it hasn't I have no earthly idea when it's going to hit so I'm just I'm not going to go searching for it it's going to happen eventually and then we can talk about it then but for now I'm not looking for the regression the way I would be with other players. Derrick Henry, it's the same. Maybe at some point Derrick Henry comes back down to earth and looks human, but until then we just have to accept that he is the unicorn that everybody keeps thinking that they have 
when they fork over giant contracts or when they draft a guy in the top four, whatever it is, Derrick Henry right now is that guy. The comparison I'll make, I think, is, is Tyreek Hill and his speed on the field where it's like, man, there aren't many NFL players who just look that much faster than other NFL players, and Tyreek Hill has that. I think Henry has that ability where a, a lot of the perception of the running back getting stronger in the fourth quarter I think is founded upon just people playing or being around football their entire life, and it was actually true. You know, it was true with probably in Pop Warner. You didn't want to tackle the big dude. It was true in high school. There's probably some truth to it in college where there's a big discrepancy between talented players. You know, there's just a bigger talent gap in college. But in the NFL where the talent gap is tighter, you'd be hard-pressed to find legitimate NFL games where NFL players are sitting there in the fourth quarter not wanting to tackle a running back, right? Derrick Henry has that, though, right? There are times, especially in the fourth quarter, where Derrick Henry legitimately does look bigger and stronger and carries 20 through 30. He is bigger and stronger. Well, but he he maintains that bigger strongerness while everyone else is actually getting worn down. And I think it's similar to Tyreek Hill. There are other guys who run 4-2 and 4-3, but Tyreek Hill is always the fastest player on a given play and looks like it, like like he's playing at a different speed. Derrick Henry might have that ability to, to... you know, satisfy that theory that you wear teams down in the fourth quarter. I'm sure there is something to the idea that if you are able to keep going the same pace, the same intensity all the way through the game, at some point, it is a thing. Like, you are worn down more in the fourth quarter than you were earlier in the game physically, and now there's a 250-pound dude running at you at full speed again. Like, at some point, you just don't want a piece of that. I'm, yeah. I'm just there has to be something to that now it, it doesn't bear itself out for pretty much any other player but how many Derrick Henry's are there how many 250 pound guys that can outrun you the distance if they get a crease exist um, the other the other thing I think that is makes Henry really good is other teams are truly accounting for him and so are the the rules that we used so to speak to come to the conclusion that running backs are the most interchangeable position in the NFL I think still hold true. The rules being rushing production is generally a product of box count, right? Run blocking, actually having a good pass game where defenses have to account for it. Um, And there are running backs around the league who do get to run against lighter boxes and have more holes and maybe only have to make one guy miss instead of four. Henry is facing more eight-man boxes than any running back in the league and maintaining his production. And then your favorite stat, yards after contact, you know, him having more yards after contacts than most teams actually have rushing yards is insane and crazy. He's got 40 more carries, 46 more carries than the next closest ball carrier. So it's, it's high volume in unideal running situations. Um, and that's why, like, his actual efficiency might not be there because he's going he's gonna to get stuffed. There are times you're going to get stuffed against an eight-man box. But most running backs would probably be averaging about three yards per carry in Derrick Henry's situation. What was really interesting about that game, though, on Monday night is that the Bills were not really stacking the box against him. Like, they were ha- they had light boxes pretty much the whole way. They were doing that thing of, we're going to invite you to run because it's less dangerous than it is throwing the ball deep down the field to Julio Jones and to, to A.J. Brown. So we're going to back up. We're going to let you have the favorable box count and we're going to rely on our defense being better than it's been in the past to be able to stop you and early in the game it was working yeah there were several plays where they did a nice job uh, and Scott then Lutalele made some nice plays yeah 50 percent of the eight man eight or more man boxes that derrick henry faced he faced in the fourth quarter like once derrick henry showed that uh-oh boom busted through one go 75 yards and a touchdown all of a sudden it was like this has started to not work anymore now we got to start loading up the box count. And it's almost like that has the opposite effect to the one you wanted to because it's like when teams used to load up against Adrian Peterson. And the problem, like, yes, generally speaking, if you load up the box, you're going to have more success against the run. But when you don't, like when you screw it up, when you miss, he's gone. Like, boom. It's not just a bad play. It's gone the distance. So I, I think you run that risk with Derrick Henry that when you load up the box – Okay, it will help you stop him, but if one guy misses a tackle, you're still in trouble. But more importantly, then it opens up the pass game. And Ryan Tannehill was having a lot of trouble completing passes early in the game. He was like 4 for 12 at one point, had one one of his one big completion was the ball that hit uh was it Teron Johnson? It was it hit Bills defender in the head and then Julio somehow catches it out of bounds. What an insane catch that was. That was ridiculous. So 
The idea, by the way, the thing about that catch that was most impressive is that, like, tracking it over the sideline, watching it sort of come down, midway through, he takes his eye off the ball, looks for where the sideline is, and gets back on the ball again so that he can not just catch it, but make sure he toe taps on the sideline. Why can't he do that in the end zone? I don't know. Why can't he do that for a touchdown every now and but again? But that's insane. Like, that's what the fantasy the, folks are asking. The ability to be able to... I mean, it's one thing to just be, keep tracking the ball and make that catch would have been insane. To have the self-awareness to take your eyes off the bouncing ball, find the sideline, and get back on it before you make the catch is madness. Um, so, so Ryan Tannehill played a lot better in the second half. And so the this is one of those where like the old football theory... Kind of makes sense a little bit, and this is yeah, what McV- Derrick Henry is single-handedly setting the league back like eight years. Yeah, but I mean, this is what McVay talks about. Shanahan talks about. Uh, by the way, this year, the highest-graded passer, just PFF passing grade against an eight-plus man box, is Ryan Tannehill. And uh, I do think this might be. We may have misread this a couple years ago because there was fair analysis that said Derrick Henry didn't really become special until Ryan Tannehill took over. Um, that's the history of. Derrick Henry's career outside of a couple games here and there on the, the Thursday night game the 99 yarder the stiff arms from hell and the whole deal there was a couple breakout games but he didn't become special special until Ryan Tannehill took over and but at the same time Ryan Tannehill didn't become special until he had Derrick Henry eight-man boxes I wonder if it's just this perfect marriage of yeah. the two and again you from an analysis standpoint you want to say well Henry depends on Tannehill and Tannehill de- like maybe it's just both of them work better yeah. in this particular like, situation. It, it's starting to look now that Derrick Henry was providing all of those opportunities to Marcus Mariota, who simply wasn't taking them, and therefore Derrick Henry wasn't... Derrick, Derrick Henry's life never became easier. Whereas all of a sudden, Derrick Henry provides the same opportunities to Ryan Tannehill, who is one of the best-graded quarterbacks in the NFL when play-action and against eight-man boxes and all those kinds of things, which has... A reactionary effect on the defense and so now all of a sudden the defense has to go whoa now we got to back up and defend the pass and all of a sudden derrick henry gets better opportunities so it, it's like derrick henry is is starting to look like the the source point of all of this but it is true that without ryan Tannehill, or more to the point with marcus mariota it didn't matter because as long as you only have to focus on derrick henry you can limit the damage he does but the second you have a compliment that can take advantage of what Derrick Henry opens up, now all of a sudden everybody's life gets easier. Since 2019, stacked, the, stacked up a couple seasons to see where Tannehill ranks. Number two PFF passing grade behind Russell Wilson with an eight-man box. And yards per attempt, number one in the NFL. Tannehill at 10.3. You mentioned Tej, the, uh, the great Tej from our uh, PFF analytics team. Again, he's done some studies on uh, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, three quarterbacks who have had uh, more eight-man boxes than others and also had more success in those particular situations. And that is that goes to this whole idea of like the mid-tier quarterbacks and what you want to do. How are you making the most of those quarterbacks? And I think that's a fair way to do it. So, I mean, this we might pivot into a Steelers discussion and what their mentality was coming into this year, even though it's not being executed. But I think what makes the Bradys and Mahomes and Rodgers and those guys still more special is that they face five- and six-man boxes and still pass against it. Right. The Tannehills and Cousins and Bakers of the world, maybe, ha- this is where you say product of the system, they do have more favorable, bigger passing lanes, bigger play-action lanes because of defenses looking at that running game. At Tej, T-E-J, F-B, football analytics on Twitter, if you want to follow Tej's stuff, he's said good things. Yeah, so Tannehill, 10.3 yards per attempt with the uh, eight-man box. Number three on that list is Jimmy Garoppolo. Number four on the list is Lamar Jackson. So uh, Jameis Winston's up there, too. Uh, I'm sorry, no. Tannehill and Garoppolo, one and two. So another Garoppolo, another guy, the Shanahan rushing attack, does a great job with their play-action concepts against the eight-man box. The other thing to come out of that game was at the death, um, they decided to run a quarterback sneak with Josh Allen to try and win the game rather than kick the points, go to overtime, try and win it in overtime. Um, and they didn't get it. They got stuffed. Josh Allen didn't, make, didn't get uh, the conversion, the Titans takeover game. And there were some people that criticized that decision. Um, well, I mean, I mean if the, I'm just saying, if the Bills had Taylor Lewan at left tackle, maybe things are different. 
That's one of the most cringy things I've ever seen in my life. That I, it, Look, we've all made mistakes. Yes. Have you ever made a mistake that egregious on television? Not on television. <laughs> I've made egregious mistakes. I've made many egregious mistakes. I can't mistakes. imagine actually making that. De- so for anyone that doesn't have any idea what the hell we're talking about, um, Chris Broussard went on TV and said that the big problem with that sneak was that the Buffalo Bills starting left tackle Taylor Lewan had gone down earlier in the game and some backup dude named Deion Dawkins was in there and he got beat and that's why the, the, the sneak failed and they didn't convert. Now obviously anybody that knows football knows that Taylor Lewan is the starting tackle for the opposite team and in fact somewhere in the deep recesses of Broussard's brain he knew that as well because he like said Titans to start with and then corrected himself because his entire rant was built off this thing and he's like no that doesn't make sense the Bills, Taylor Lewan. So basically his entire point was ranting, calling the team idiots for running this whilst he uh, yeah, had so the wrong player on the wrong team. My take on that about. is that that is the hot take culture taking over because he had to go into this TV show with a very, very hot take and <laughs> in, in a different one, right? Yeah. And the different one is – well. Uh, it's the left tackle's fault on the QB sneak. I just granted ninety nine percent of sneaks are you know an A gap. I can't two imagine. Gaps away. Can you? I can't imagine coming back on TV having made that like that mistake. I think the, the, wor- mis- no, the worst feeling in the world, like one of the worst feelings in the entire world, is having said something like that, and then when it clicks in your brain, and you're like, oh no, I did something really stupid. But now I, I think most those of the mistakes- time happen yeah yeah but most of the time you do that and it's not on national television so right. it's not i mean it just it feels terrible and like you know we've doing this or doing serious or whatever like you've made mistakes it's usually not as egregious than that but like you know i've done radio hits or something where i've read the wrong stat and it's been you know, you're like yeah. oh, no and you feel bad right but it, it's usually not quite this egregious and it's usually not on that level of stale but the point is at some point he now has to go back on tv and it's like all right fire up the next one you're like, but look what I just did. I made an absolute ass out of myself. I can't go back on TV ever. I have to That's... go live in a small box <laughs> under the stairs in, like, Delaware. I can, I can never show my face in public again. The problem, the problem was that the whole take was built around that. Yes. It's not the mistake. Like, the mistake, I mean, I, I think I went on radio one time the year that the Big 12 started. They first had their, um, like, the first conference championship game that they had. And I was rambling about how, oh, the Big 12 doesn't have a championship game and this and that. And, and I was on, like, college, ESPNU, college radio. They were probably like, this idiot doesn't realize they got a game this year. Like, I mean, I've made mistakes like that. <laughs> um, but he said it so forcefully but it's not just so that, powerful. Like, yeah. But that's what you're, you're it, inspired to have. It's not just that the take was take. built off that, but it's that the take was slamming somebody else for being dumb. And it's like, yeah. look – what idiot thing you did. And who's did this Dawkins guy? Well, he's off, the starter right, for the Bills. Based off this thing that I have completely ass about face. Like, it's, it was just yeah. so bad. But anyway, there were people that thought it was the wrong decision. And then there was Chris Broussard who thought it was the wrong decision based off the fact that he doesn't know who the starting left tackles for either team are. So let's recap the decision again. Okay. Um, first off, Josh Allen with a superhuman effort on third down. Just incredible. I thought he was there, but he, got, he was a little short. Yeah. Uh, always trying to leap over defenders. Almost converts. Now it's fourth and inches. It's less than a yard. Um, and uh, actually, like Net- the two or the three wasn't wasn't fourth and goal. It was like yeah, a couple fourth yards and to go. inches to go. And then you had a few more yards away from yeah. from the end zone. Next gen stats has had some good work on this because they do have uh, because of the the chips and the shoulder pads for players, they have been able to separate fourth and ones. And there, so not all fourth and ones are created equal. There's a difference between half a yard, a full yard, and the whole thing. This is less than a yard. Um, and the Bills are down three. From the three-yard line. Yeah, so the Bills are down three. So your, your options are a gimme, pretty much a gimme field goal to tie it up. With 22 seconds left with, on the clock. With 22 seconds. The Titans, and I know we talk about this every week, like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, teams can get into field goal range. You're really limiting right. that that's, ability here. That's really pushing it, but it's not. you can't dismiss the possibility. You can't dismiss that possibility. That they score again. Um, there is always a possibility that the – we'll talk about the odds in a second, but Bills presumably kick a field goal. Right. The Titans presumably don't get back into field goal range. We're going to overtime. Yeah. And here's the key, right? The Bills are the favorite. And this, and this does matter. So the Bills are the favorite. If they go to overtime, it's, it's 50-50 it's not a 50, theoretically. 50, yeah. It's not a 50-50 proposition almost ever because you do know things about these teams. Like the right. teams are almost never evenly matched. 
So it isn't just we kick, a, uh, we, kick we go to overtime, and then it's 50-50. Because it isn't, right? Like, it wasn't 50-50 going into the game. Like, there was a line. The point spread said, said one of these teams was a favorite almost every single game. And in some games, it said they were a huge favorite. So the idea that we go to overtime and suddenly it's anybody's game is not usually true. On the other hand, the exception, Derrick Henry. What I'm wondering, if he's the exception, That's and he truly is stronger in the fourth quarter in overtime, we've seen him take, take games sure. over in the fourth quarter in overtime. I, I wonder if that had something to do with the Bills' decision. Yeah, you're the favorite. On paper, you're the better team. You're supposed to be the best team in the AFC. You're number one in PFF power rankings coming in. You're probably top of mind, right? And, uh, but Derrick Henry's on the other side, and we don't want to play him in overtime. I mean, sure, that's part of it. I also think, like, again, like, if you ever have the opportunity to just win the damn game in, like, one or two plays, yeah. do it. I don't, agree. don't, anything can happen in overtime. It's not that it's like it becomes a 50-50 proposition, but anything can freaking happen. Like, you might never see the – you might lose the coin toss. They score a touchdown. Derrick Henry rattles off 95 yards. You never even see the ball. Yeah. Well, there's your 50-50 proposition. Well done. Like, just try and win the game in the one or two plays you have here. So they end up going for the sneak, and they didn't get it. Um, now, I was kind of looking at this, and what was interesting about this sneak is usually the quarterback just takes the ball, either tries to leap over the pile, buries himself into the A-gap, like either side of the center's butt cheek, and just tries to get the yard, right? Allen didn't. He bounced a whole gap over and tried to get into the B gap, which had some space pre-snap, but that space was very quickly removed by the fact that a, a defensive end plowed his way inside the backup, Deion Dawkins, who was obviously in there for Taylor Lewan. That play doesn't usually happen, but right. you remember the previous sneak that he had, right? Allen's previous sneak at, at the goal line earlier in the game where he did try to take it outside the tackle, and three unblocked defenders, boom, pop right. and, and stuff. I knew I hadn't imagined that. I, yeah. That did happen, okay. right? So he did do it a similar way yeah. previously. So all of a sudden, I came out of that, and I'm like, why does Allen, a 245-pound huge dude who barrels over people in the run game, why does he keep trying to bounce the ball outside of the A-gaps? Um, and actually, when you look at how the Titans defended that play, it was really well done. They, like, shifted in tight late yep. and immediately took away the A-gaps, and sort of forced him to bounce outside. And then the alignment of the end was inside of the tackle, who just didn't have a shot, really, of making that block. And when you look at the last time he failed on a fourth and third and fourth or one play, the 49ers did a very similar thing to him. They stacked everybody up tight. They forced him to essentially bounce it outside and then one inside of the tackle and stuffed him again. Now, what was different is this time, the 49ers took away all the gaps. Like, he had just nowhere to go. This time, if he'd actually gone right instead of left, if he'd gone to the right-hand side B-gap instead of the left-hand side, there was literally an open gap. Like, he would have actually made it then and been, been comfortable. But anyway, the point is, when I was looking up all of these things, it turns out that Josh Allen lifetime before that sneak on third and fourth and one attempts, it was 29 for 31. So he had two failures in 31 attempts. That was the third failure in 32 attempts. So... Like, it's a 90% proposition to say, Josh Allen, you're 245 pounds, go sneak for the... F and that was all... As you say, they've NGS has separated out fourth yeah. and ones. This was as good a fourth and one as you're going to get. It was a short fourth and one. So it was basically an extremely likely pickup, and they didn't get it. That's good process. Sometimes so, yeah. good process doesn't bounce your way. You ride, you roll with those punches, you take it on the chin, and you say, it was the right decision, we move on. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think that's where a lot of a lot of decisions come from is thinking through the lens of increasing our ability to win and what are the odds here. And I think they had the odds, whether it was fourth and short, combined with the sneak, combined with they're a couple of yards away from the end zone, combined with uh, Derrick Henry is on the other side. And you know, you're you're a little at the mercy of a coin flip. I know that you know the first possession team doesn't always win in overtime, but they certainly have an advantage. We saw you know. The, Cowboys had a walk-off this weekend. The Minnesota Vikings had a walk-off this weekend. Um, and I, the one thing I don't think is a part of it is momentum and, oh, you know, the Titans just scored a bunch of points against us. We have to, you know, they've got the momentum. We need to try to win it now because they'll beat us in over That, that stuff, I think, is, is overrated. Yeah, but I there are enough people that rail against momentum. I don't need to do that. And, look, all teams are not created equal. There are teams that aren't particularly good at sneaking or that have a much worse record. But Josh Allen, in particular, 
has been extremely good at picking those up, which makes sense given the freaking He's size the and strength size. of the dude. But to, you know, Tom Brady's always like the guy that we talk about, well, the pinnacle of quarterback play, but also of the QB sneak. But even just the, the thing that Brady has brought to the table is when the two A gaps are covered, as we saw in this particular situation, he'll just check to like a quick wide zone play. And all of a sudden they're, you know, you're, the team's generally out gapped outside, right? So it's, it's the ability to know which gap to take with the sneak, but also having the run plays at your disposal to be able to, you know, hit other gaps yeah. and just take advantage of the fact that people are accounting for you as a great QB sneak guy. I think the Titans defended it very well, but yeah. it's still a play that the Bills should have picked up. And look, it's like poker, right? You get, you get the money in with the best hand, and that's all you can do. Sometimes the card isn't going to come out that you want, and you're going to get a bad beat, and you're going to lose the money. But if you do that enough times, if every time you get your money in the hand, you have the best <laughs> or you get your money in the pot, you have the best hand, like that's all you can do. There is still a luck element to the game, and that's just life. But all you can do is, is make sure that when the money goes in, you have the best hand, and over time, you will get paid off. So I think ultimately the Bills went for the right call and didn't get the reward from it. You know what else is the right call, Sam? What, Steve? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They got you covered this week. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook's not yet available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code PFF, this week of DraftKings Sportsbook, they're an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. Where do you want to go next? Should we talk some Browns here? Baker sure. Mayfield? Uh, or do you want to touch on Ronnie Stanley quickly? Okay. Let's talk. We'll finish up with the, with the Thursday night preview. Ronnie Stanley, Ravens uh, starting left tackle. He's out for the season. Uh, with the ankle injury, same injury he had last year. And um, remember last year, what did he, was it a week? He got hurt. Was it a week after he signed his big contract? Really soon. Afterwards. It was like within days. Yeah. Or with, uh, two weeks at most. Um, so good for Ronnie Stanley getting paid when he did. Uh, unfortunate for Ronnie Stanley, though, that he's had to battle this injury the last couple of years. Yeah, really sucks for him. Um, remember, this was a guy who got injured last season. And then it was, hey, now coming into this year, Ronnie Stanley's back. And then the great... Alejandro Villanueva was going to flip to the right-hand side. Um, and now you have two capable tackles. And then week one, it was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Villanueva, turns out, can't play right tackle. Though there's some debate as to whether he can play left tackle hey, anymore hey, hey. as well. It's still early. Ronnie Stanley was out there on a busted ankle and just, just evidently looked at it. it. was a disaster. The two of them in that week one game combined to give up 19 total pressures. Nine from Stanley, 10 from Villanueva. And then immediately the Ravens were like, okay, we're not, this is unfair to Stanley. We need to shut him down again and get, and get this right. Obviously it didn't get right and they need to, to refix. Um, so that's, I mean, that's concerning. That's anytime, I don't want to say a routine injury, but anytime an injury that wasn't obviously going to take multiple years takes multiple years, you have to get a little bit concerned about the long-term prospects. Yeah, Stanley, again, for those that don't know, has become, he had become uh, the best or second best pass blocking tackle in the league. We generally give it to David Bakhtiari and had said, hey, Bakhtiari from the Packers, he's become the best pass blocker. Ronnie Stanley was right there with him. His last full season, 2019, gave up only 10 total pressures, including the playoffs on over 540 attempts. Um, Stanley was continuing to get better and better. He was a good run blocker, not great, good run blocker, a very similar I mean, he was profiling similar to the great Joe Thomas with elite pass-blocking grades, good run-blocking grades, um, and, you know, sixth overall pick really coming good in years three, four, and five in his career. Um, so Stanley was trending to be this top three left tackle. He was getting paid as such. Um, and then again, last year only 312 snaps and then just the one game this year. So hoping, you know, for Stanley, that obviously he can recover, come back, um, tweeting yesterday, his frustration but also you know feeling blessed that he can go get it fixed something i'm paraphrasing what he was saying but um so hoping for the best for him and then from a ravens perspective uh you know throws a little bit of wrench uh, a wrench in their 
you know, long-term planning, not knowing if they're, how, what they're going to get from him going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's potentially a long-term issue for them. It's also, you know, a short-term problem as well. Like I say, the, the, the great Alejandro Villanueva has not been great. Has not. Um, and look, they, so they, they're better than they were week one, right, when they actually had Stanley because he was hurt. Villanueva was playing on the right side. He was worse there than he's been on the left side. So you just had, you had like the worst tackle situation in the NFL in the first week. Um, having to adjust to not having Stanley, you got better at left tackle because Villanueva is better there than he is on the right side. And somehow you've managed to get better at right tackle by playing Patrick McCarry out there, who was like a center before that, like a backup center, suddenly kicks out and plays right tackle. And he's been, you know, reasonably good. So now look, the, the flip side of that is, well, at some point you would have got Stanley back healthy and then you would have had a really good left tackle and a pretty good right tackle. Um, in theory, you know, like Patrick McCarry has been a better right tackle than Villanueva has been a left tackle this year. But I, I would say that for the Ravens, you can say, look, right tackle is, is quote-unquote fixed going forward this year. We're in a decent spot there based off how McCarry's played. Left tackle, though, you're now reliant on Villanueva actually holding up his end of the bargain and being, you know, viable and that's a fairly hit and miss prospect at this point like he has a pass blocking grade on the season of 48.5 and even if you take out take out the first game sam even if you take out the week one there is a 28 grade in there there's a 59 grade in there he's he's been beat um and his run blocking grade isn't ideal either in all but a couple of games so like if you're baltimore solid there he's been he has been as advertised well, I'm you, trying. Give me a minute to get to the the rankings here. There was a, if there you're was gonna a toss minor out, glitch. If you're going to toss out the week one game, then you and, lose a big run block. Pa- no, no, no. If you're going to toss out the week one pass blocking game, then you probably have to toss out the week two run blocking game and end up with just a meh. So my point is that stop you have, throwing games out. He is what he is. <laughs> well, okay. Then he's not a good pass blocker, and he's an okay run blocker, which is the opposite of everything we know about Villanueva. My counterpoint of the um, eighty-one offensive tackles with at least 100 point uh, 100 snaps this year he's 48th he ranks 48th i i promised you all off season a mid-tier left tackle that is exactly what alejandro villanueva has been i was i said the value of alejandro villanueva is the average in one of the most offensive line friendly systems in the nfl yeah i mean you throw a week one and he's uh at left tackle he is exactly mid-tier. So, so you throw out his worst game and put him in the best situation in the NFL, and he ranks 48th. And well, you're no, let's throw, claiming let's, that as a success. Now he's 31st. You throw out week one, he's 31st out of 79. Okay. He is, as advertised, He is a, a valuable average left ta- uh, a, tackle. A problem for them. There are certain games where he's been problem-like. That is what, it, that is what <laughs> an average left tackle brings. Certain games, that, I mean, that's the reality of it. Uh, Mike Remmers... Yeah. has been an average tackle. Riley Reef has been an average tackle. They have games where they get whooped, they get beat up on, but that's that's part of that's part of the position. Do you that's think that right now Alejandro Villanueva is as good as Riley Reef? I don't know. Where's Reef this? Yeah, he's ranked better than Reef. Yeah. They're about yeah. the same guy. They're similar. They're they're valuable players. Okay. They're valuable players because what you don't want to be is the bottom of the list, the two Raiders, Brandon Parker, Alex Leatherwood, Rashad Hill, well, Liam yeah. Eikenberg, Nobody who's played guard and tackle, Storm Norton. You, you're trying to avoid the Storm Norton situation where he has been detrimental to an otherwise solid line with the Chargers. Anyway, enough Ali Villanueva talk. You know, best wishes to Ronnie Stanley in his recovery, and we'll keep an eye on this Ravens offensive line going forward. And if uh, there are certain games where Villanueva, look, he's a big dude. It's tough pad level when you're that big. There are some games where he gets beat up as a, pa- as a pass blocker. All right, let's go to uh, let's go Monday Night Football. Browns and Broncos, uh, Thursday Night Football, previewing the game. Thank you for clarifying that in the secret chat that we have here. Hmm. Browns, Broncos, Baker is out. Let's talk Baker just a little bit here because we never talk about Baker Mayfield. Uh, Browns have a serious decision to make, and I think we've uh, we've thrown Kirk Cousins comps out there. We've done all these various things. My relationship with Baker Mayfield is um, is this what like are they full disclosure? Yeah. You have a relationship? Is this like a... Uh, it's complicated on Facebook. Like, it's Facebook complicated. Yeah. Or like, you know, your, set, your, your stages of separation. How many Kevin Bacons away from Baker Mayfield are you? Um, 
how close am I to Baker Mayfield? Not that close. I don't think I have. It's not like me and The Rock, you know, like where my high school coaches, <laughs> girlfriends, niece married him. You know, no, I mean? you're it's not, not that like close. it's not like The Rock. Yeah, uh, where you know we're a couple couple degrees of separation. Because hmm. you mean my high school coach were tight. You know, his girlfriend's niece married The Rock. You know, and calls my high school coach Uncle Frank. You know, that's that's close. Feels like you could have got more benefit out of that. No, no benefit. No, I could be like an extra in one of his movies or something. Yeah, you should do maybe that. one of like the <laughs> how many extra spots? Like a big like ten people are henchmen there? that he beats up or kills or something like that in some action <laughs> yeah. film. You, yeah. you do have a limited like scope of roles for. Well, I guess if you're playing where if you're an extra and you're just playing with perspective, you just stand further back than everybody else. It would still work. No, I there's there's got to be some room for giant roles and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's a smaller role than just the room where we, we just need bodies. I just need bodies. True. I need 50 bodies that stand over there. You can't be one of those. You do that perspective thing. You can, yeah, you can't be one of those unless you stand 10 feet further back than the rest of the bodies. I do that. I'm, I'm skilled enough to stand 10 feet back. <laughs> I got that skill. Anyway, I don't have the connection to Baker Mayfield. My relationship with Baker Mayfield that I'm describing is, you know, this, you know, we believed in him. We believed in him. There's a lot of data that pointed toward Baker as the guy in mm -hmm. that draft class. Uh, even coming into the season, let's reset a little bit. Coming into the season, we... I think properly declared, if you're looking, if you're asking who's been the most consistent quarterback, strangely, out of that group between Baker, Lamar, and Josh Allen in that draft class, it's been Baker because he was better at the start than both of those guys. And he hasn't had any, despite what 2019 looked like, grading-wise, it wasn't a disastrous season. Um, that he graded better in that season than Lamar graded as a rookie and then Josh Allen graded in his first two years. So Baker's been strangely consistent. And he, but he hasn't had peaks that are anything close to what Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson have brought to the table. Um, I also think all that discussion we had earlier, Baker, the eight-man box, it's like Lamar, teams play an eight-man box because of Lamar. Right. Teams play an eight-man box because of Derrick Henry in Tennessee. They play in the, with, against the Browns because of the scheme and Chubb and Hunt. Um, Lamar gives himself more favorable passing situations. Um, so all of that stuff is on the table. And all I'm saying is last year at this time, I was ready to, I was ready to quit Baker Mayfield. I, I actually said on air one time, Case Keenum might be a better fit right now for the Browns. People are saying that again, by the way. Like, yeah. This is where well, we've got to. I was wrong last year. Like Baker turned it around. And now what I'm trying to figure out, he's got the shoulder injury. He's out right now. Is it the injury? Has he not progressed? Can he carry a team? I mean, all of these questions that the Browns are are asking and uh we won't learn more information this week but you know, hopefully he comes back next week and we'll see how much he handles he's got a torn left labrum fully that torn he, that he's gonna have to play through yeah so i tweeted uh during uh, yesterday maybe that um baker playing through this injury could cost him a lot of money because they the the browns are in this situation where they haven't fully bought into baker mayfield yet because he hasn't got the contract that Josh Allen's been handed. They were willing to let it ride into this season, see what this season presented in terms of new evidence, and then make the determination because they weren't quite sure what the hell Baker Mayfield is yet. No, I don't think anybody really is, right? Well, no, that's not true. There's a lot of people that are 100% sure that Baker Mayfield sucks, but I'm of the opinion that those people are dumb. Um, Baker Mayfield doesn't suck. We don't know how good he is or how bad he is, but... You know, I see you're finding the uh, the nuanced uh, social media takes. There's a whole world of suck, and Baker Mayfield isn't there. Anyway, um, so the point is, you're in this binary world of a front office or GM where <laughs> you have a quarterback here, and the question presented to you is, does he get $40 million a year in his next contract, or does he not? Because those are basically your two options. You hand him a monster contract, or you walk away, press the reset button, and go, over, go again. And I don't think they're sure what they want to do. Now, their only additional evidence is going to be this season, now most of which will involve Baker Mayfield playing through a fully torn labrum, albeit in his non-throwing shoulder. But as, you know, some giant dude talked about, you know, it's your glove hand, you're keeping whatever. Whatever that does to your throwing mechanism, throw, motion, whatever. Anyway, like, if you're Baker Mayfield, and I said this before he was ruled out for this week, but... You might be better off from a contract point of view of just shutting down, being like, I'm not, I'm not playing 12 games with, a, with an injured shoulder that's going to make me look terrible. I am going to shut it down, get the surgery, get healthy, and you have all the evidence you need, right? Figure it out from there. If I play 
whatever it is, 12 games with a torn shoulder and look like crap, okay, you'll know it was played through injury and there'll be some kind of asterisk next to that, but there's no way that doesn't influence you negatively in the contract negotiations. Like, it can't not do, right? Because you were already on the fence. So if you're teetering on this fence, not knowing which way to go, and the only thing influencing this in terms of new information is negative, how can it not topple you over on the bad side? Yeah, because we're even sitting here, even when you know the context, it still influences how you feel. Yeah. Right? Um, so even when... It can I, only damage your perception. Like, I always use, I always use weather as a as a, an explainer for quarterback play or whatever, right? So even when you see a guy play in a rainstorm, a couple of weeks ago, Josh Allen played in a rainstorm and he threw three passes right to linebackers. I don't know if the rain actually affected it, but it affected his grade. And it's like, I remember it. I know what happened in a rainstorm, but sometimes three weeks later, you're just looking at the stats or you're looking at the results and it's like, oh, here's this thing. It's a lot of turnover worthy plays. And you don't remember the exact context. If, if Baker goes and plays through the shoulder and plays – you know, 75% of the production that he would normally get, even though you, you could say, oh, he had a shoulder, he had this, he had that, but it's still, you still look at the numbers and the production and the results. Um, so yeah, it, it influences your, your brain for sure. What I'm asking, I'm looking at quarterback APYs now, so average per year with quarterbacks. Why can't, why, why does $40 million have to be the question? When, it is. Can, can, can it just be like Derek Carr, Derek Carr signed a contract a couple years ago that seemed a little crazy, right? He got paid a ton of money where at the time he was not the top quarterback. Um, the highest he's been as far as percentage of the cap is 13.7. That was in 2018. His cap number was 25. He's never reached 25 as a cap number, right? So at the time, is, is this the value in being early? Are the Raiders benefiting from somewhat being early because they've got what now looks like a reasonable Derek Carr deal? The other side of it is, well, the Rams – and the Eagles both signed Jared Goff and yeah. Carson Wentz, respectively, right. to, to deals that three years from now aren't going to look egregious. Now they do at the moment. Now they do, but they're not going to be egregious three years from now, other than the fact that neither guy plays for their team, and that was the risk associated with it. Um, I don't think it has to be $40 million, but can you look at the landscape right now and say, look, you're, you're Derek Carr level or whatever this looks like, you know, QB 12 to 15 as far as money goes. We're going to give you 25 to 30. Are you satisfied with that? To which and she will say no. Um, and we're on record saying Dak's not worth 30. And I think um, at the time he wasn't. And I would say that the – I think we're, we're probably looking at the next two years too much. It's like 30 million. Who's making 30 million? Nobody's making 30 million because at the time nobody was. But when you look four and five years in advance, 30 million isn't going to be a whole lot. 35, right. I mean, 40 these, million at some point isn't going to feel like These a numbers lot. only go up. So if you're – I mean, if, if you're holding people to a price point – at the time they said it like that number is only going up the further you go into the future yeah. so i think it was fair for us to say dak prescott in 2018 should not have been the highest paid quarterback or top right. three which i mean now that number would be 45 million yeah and now now dak's apy is 40 and but he's so proven that he's probably worth that he is worth that there is an interesting scenario where baker mayfield comes back after whatever it is so th this is the other thing is this is not I mean, okay, his injury is bad enough that he's not playing this week, but this is not something to get healed, that gets healed in the next couple of weeks. He is going to play through this for the entirety of the season and then get off-season surgery, presumably to fix it permanently. But this is, this is going to be a thing all the way through this year. Um, so there's a, a world where Mayfield plays, doesn't play well because of it, and weirdly, the, the only thing coming, the new information is all bad, so it actually ends up depressing his value. And the Browns are actually able to get him on a cheap deal, which for them starts to make it actually make sense, right? The Browns don't want to hand Baker Mayfield a Josh Allen contract. But if Baker Mayfield plays badly because he was playing through a torn shoulder and all of a sudden they can go, well, now you're not even like 45 million isn't even on the table now. The number we're starting from is whatever, 32. Now, what do you say? Yeah. Like there's a world actually where this ends up benefiting both sides. Like, this could actually be the thing that creates the mid-tier quarterback contract that we've been talking about for a decade. So let's say, and I think that's definitely realistic. Now let's say, even if he was healthy and the Browns, like the Browns probably still had a difficult decision, even if he's healthy and, and producing. 
what do you think the market is for Baker? You know, it, the two questions would be, well, what's your alternative, Browns? What are you going to do? And as much as I preach that you've got 30, 32 capable starters around the world, there is a difference between uh, starter 15 and starter 30, right? There is a difference, even if it's not as great as maybe 1 to 15. What is your alternative, Browns? Are you going the Marcus Mariota route? Are you going to continue? Like, if you got a Jared Goff in your building, do you feel like the, the Lions situation is bad? But your situation's good. Can you get the same out of golf that the Rams got? And is that good enough? So what do the Browns do? And if, if Baker did hit the open market, are there enough desperate teams? You know, what is his price? Like, who, How many teams are actually competing for Baker Mayfield's service, I think is a fair question, because I don't think there are that many. Yeah, I, I do think there is. So I think at this point, data would probably tell you to move on from Baker Mayfield if your two choices were cut bait, and, and start over or hand Baker Mayfield a Josh Allen contract. Is that fair? If the, if the, if those are your two options. If the option's Josh Allen contract, $43 million per year for many years, $100 yes. million dollar guaranteed, or yes, the data would on. say don't do that. Right. Um, so I think the data would probably say to move away from that deal. But of, and I know the Browns are obviously one of the most progressive teams in the NFL in terms of using data, understanding analytics, just general smart decision making. But they are also a team that has more institutional scarring when it comes to the quarterback position than probably any other in the NFL. They have that jersey that's like nine feet long with the names of all the quarterbacks. It started with Tim Couch when they Tim came back. Couch. Tim Couch had an encouraging start to his career. That Baker Mayfield ended. Mayfield stopped the names, right? Do you want to voluntarily get back on that horse knowing how it can go? Now, look. It's different now. It's way easier to find a quarterback now than it was when Tim Couch was your option, right? Yeah. So it isn't the same, but from an institutional memory standpoint, like this team, more than any others, knows what can happen if you say, no, we're going to press hard reset because we know it's easy to find a quarterback. Like It is a risk, and it's a risk that this team must know as acutely as any other in the NFL. So I think they want to find a way of making a deal that keeps Baker Mayfield there, but doesn't like, you know, hand him a contract that right now he probably hasn't justified. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, I also wonder how much they look and they're like, Andrew Barry. Well, Andrew Barry was a part of a little bit of that, but it's like I'm Andrew Barry. I'm you know I'm right. the new regime. I'm the brown. I'm I have faith. In, I, I've built this great roster. I've been a part of this. I, I've been a part of this rebuild with Baker and getting this team back to the playoffs and getting them into this uh, division race year for for multiple years now. I'm a new Browns exec. I'm, I'm the new Browns, and I have faith in my ability to get the next quarterback. The question then is, well, how do you get the next? How do you get? How do you get that next quarterback? And also, by the way, next year doesn't look good from quarterback. You know, college quarterbacks coming into the league. Obviously, the Browns aren't planning on picking top ten or anywhere you normally get those right. elite quarterbacks anyway. But it's not. It looks like a challenging year to be trying to identify a new rookie quarterback from nowhere. Um, but again, how many teams? How many teams are actually desperate? Sure, there's so that, many teams that have Q, a QB in the years two or three where they're right. still undecided. But that probably does send you back to the free agent market and trying to find somebody that's a, that's capable of winning with that team from there, which is doable. But it's just a hell of a risk that you don't necessarily need to take for a team that thinks it's entering, you know, a Super Bowl window. I wonder if the Browns, like the other options, would be. You pro like if you're that confident in your ecosystem as the Browns, and the Eagles are looking to move on from which Jaylen we'll learn Hurts. a lot about in terms of how Case Keenum plays. Sure, if Case Keenum comes in and plays even well, even though there are mm, a third of their active rosters on the injury report, so which, I don't know. To be honest, helps them right. Like I, almost the worst thing that can happen for them is like Case Keenum comes in and plays really well in one game, and all of a sudden you're like, well, there's obviously no difference between Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum. And we can just plug any old stooge in here. We have way more evidence than what's going to happen Thursday night on, yeah, with Chase Keenum. Know we have well, one. We also know fully, fully well, like what one game and just that kind of narrative can do to people. We just have one. But well, we're we're not narrative people here. We don't buy into that. Uh, we we have one full good season of Case Keenum and several years where he's looked like a high end backup. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's what Case Keenum is, regardless of what you see Thursday night. Um, I did want to wrap that point up with oh so my one other my last point was going to be like 
if you're the what is the strategy if you are a team that is forward looking and say we either have a top eight quarterback or we have zero quarterbacks how do you get that next guy is it continually drafting is it um is it plucking Jalen Hurts right the, the Eagles have three top 10 picks if they want to move on from him saying you know what put Jalen Hurts in our ecosystem for two years while he's still under a rookie contract or give me Daniel Jones right the Giants are going to move on from Daniel Jones we could take Daniel Jones for the last two years of his rookie contract make something of him while we're looking for the next guy is there a world where that's the play for a team is grabbing these other quarterbacks who are you know in the middle of the pack but you're you're, but is that a lateral move? But is it a lateral move at a cheaper price? Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of these fun questions here. Jones would be really interesting for them next year. Don't you think? Like, Jones has never had a good offensive line. Yeah. Um, and uh, now he does have his best group of playmakers. He just hasn't had them all together with the Giants. More specifically, Thursday night football, this Browns-Broncos game, uh, both weird. They're both 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Browns have lost two heartbreakers and got beat up pretty bad by the Cardinals. Broncos started 3-0. They've fallen back to 3-3. Three three. Defense has lost some luster. After, as a team, they only gave up 26 points in their first three games. Where do you stand on this one? Man, the Browns got battered so badly in the last 10 days. They went from being like almost fully healthy to everybody's missing. I know. They, they had fully, they had like a third of the team on the injury report. It was madness. Um, obviously, no Baker Mayfield, but no a lot of other people as well. I do think that... Line's down to two, by the way. Uh, Browns favored by two at home. The Browns offensive line being banged up, I think, was a real issue for Baker Mayfield. Not because, necessarily, in part because they weren't good, but also in part because Baker Mayfield is in this world now where he's terrified of his own shoulder injury, he's reacting to pressure. Like, he's back to where that terminal problem he had where he was feeling pressure even when it wasn't there because Greg Robinson was his left tackle. That's That's the headspace he's in right now, and that makes everything worse. Case Keenum probably won't be like that. Like, Case Keenum will probably treat the offensive line on its merits and let it sink or swim based off that. Um, Which means we don't, when a player is going to just willingly play under pressure like that, you just don't know what's going to happen. But but it's it's probably a good thing in terms of, like, if your offensive line isn't going to be as strong as it normally is, Case Keenum might actually be a better bet than Baker Mayfield in terms of surviving that. Um, Then you have the fact that, look, Denver doesn't have a great pass rush. Von Miller's really good, but if you can take away Von Miller, nobody else is winning. Yeah. So, okay, you don't have a great offensive – you don't have your starters necessarily, but, like, double-team the dude all game long, and then nobody else is going to beat you. And then you have a free – like, uh, you have a free target in terms of that secondary. Shooting gallery. That's the <clears throat> phrase I was looking for. From the – from there are injuries on both sides here, though. The Browns have both tackles, again, uh, questionable at best, I'd say, with Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin – uh, players on both sides of the ball, but Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both out in this particular in this particular game. Dernest Johnson, Dernest, Dernest. How how, Ernest. We, how are we going with that? Dernest, Dernest, Dernest. That's awkward. I don't know. Feels De- like a D Ernest. D Ernest. Should probably check though. Yeah, particularly. Yeah, well, they'll say it enough times on Thursday. You think they'll be right? I don't know. We've heard a lot of mispronunciations from the uh, national media, I think, unless we're just missing something, but O-Karake? the national media. O'Karake? O'Karake. <laughs> um, but from a Broncos perspective, you also have um, both linebackers. Uh, their linebackers are all beat up. Uh, Garrett Bowles, limited participation at left tackle. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, no offense. They should be fine. Uh, they should be there. Melvin Gordon. But they're, they've been banged up as well. They've got some issues on their side of the ball. Um, are the Broncos... Do the Broncos just come back down to earth, man? Or is this is this just a bad stretch? I thought I did think that their overall roster would look better, and I thought they'd play at least closer to what they did in the first three weeks. Last three weeks of, especially last week, they just got dominated by the Raiders. Yeah, and look, the the Steelers were able to run the ball on them as well. Like the defense has been maybe a bigger disappointment over the last few weeks than the offense. I think Co- coverage grades really quick. Last three weeks, forty four as a team, forty four, thirty two, thirty eight. I think we, that was the big surprise. We expected the offense to struggle more, but it did feel like the defense was for real. And even against better teams, they would show up. And it just hasn't. Like, their defense has been wrecked the last couple of weeks. And the offense did kind of what we thought it might, which is all of a sudden Teddy Bridgewater can't get it done against better teams and throws the ball into harm's way and generally looked like he was struggling and they couldn't pull their way out of it. Yeah, I, I, I'm disappointed with that secondary right now. 
But this is one of those games where so many people are injured, it's like it's hard to make any sense of it. Yeah. Like, like what the hell do the Browns even look like now? They've got none, nothing, none of their identity remains, right? Their identity on offense was the best offensive line in the NFL, two of the top five running backs in the league, Baker Mayfield, and, you know, the receivers that they have that he can try and get the ball to off the back of all that play action. None of that exists. All of it is gone. The offensive line is missing both tackles. The running game, two of the top five running backs, neither of them are playing. So the guy whose OBJ name we can't even up. say is playing is the only real starting running back. Baker Mayfield isn't even there. It's Case Keenum's show. Like, we have no clue what this looks like. Great. None. We'll just see what happens. So it could be terrible. And even if it is, the Denver defense is all of a sudden bad, having looked good. So... Yeah, I, I'd love to have some penetrating analysis as to which I mean, way this game was going to go, but I got nothing. The other injury factor, though, for the Broncos, so much of what they, you know, so much of so much of what we liked about the Broncos was all of their receivers coming in, right? Jerry Judy's been hurt. Um, you lose KJ Hamler. Of course, you've got Tim Patrick picking up the slack, um, and he's good again, as always. Uh, ne- never dropping passes and always making big plays. You just don't have that receiver advantage that you once had where it seemed like, man, like how are you going to cover all these Broncos? And those are, we just did the PFF Daily today talking about the best offenses in the NFL. And we just went team by team with all the tier one offenses and we're like three playmakers, four playmakers, four playmakers. Man, the Broncos would, it would feel better if Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler were out there with Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant. Um, but they're still, but they're still good. Their depth is is keeping them close in this in this respect. As far as I think they could still move the ball through the air. Teddy Bridgewater with a seventy four grade, that's he's settled in right where he should be. Right? I mean, is this the Teddy Bridgewater we somewhat expected? The turnover worthy plays are now back up to where they were before. Yeah. Like he showed some promise in those first few weeks. Two great two game grades under sixty in the last three weeks. I feel like Bridgewater has come back and pretty much settled into the bridge type of quarterback that we thought he was this is one of those games with that's really interesting to just look around pff green line and pff green line is the the kind of betting tool we have on the website that leverages all of the data gives you all kinds of inf- interesting information oh, for a game like this could you could you get 25 percent off that you could i believe you could if you use the promo code nfl pod you would get 25 percent off any subscription which would open up green line unlock it remove the little green locks that shows you all the data um so for this game all the money is coming in on denver uh 87 of the cash is coming in on denver but green line actually sees significant value in the browns they have we have the line at almost three we have an edge towards um the towards putting money on the browns because of that and you can sort of see the way the line has been moving, you know, over the last few days and all those kinds of things. It's a, it's a fascinating game to kind of dive into because of how absolutely chaotic it is. Um, but I think because of that, it's going to be like a fun one to watch. Not for the reasons we thought it might be before everybody on both sides got injured, but I think it should still be a fun game. All right, so Browns by two. Where are you going with this one? Uh, um. I don't know what we're going to see from the Browns. I think because Denver are also missing some players and aren't that good to begin with, I think I'll still f- lean on the Browns. But, I mean, this could go anywhere, right? I was gonna, I'm going to lean Browns as well. I am looking forward to this game. I also made the statement the other night. I think part of the reason why we're seeing so many exciting football games is this more aggressive fourth down nature that a lot of uh, teams are you know, buying into. Uh, the Browns are going to exploit those advantages as much as possible, maybe even more with Case Keenum at quarterback. We will see. Um, but I'm looking forward to the game. So I'll take the Browns covering the, as of right now, two-point line. Uh, we'll uh, see a solid outing from Case Keenum, trusting that Stefanski scheme to protect him for this in this one game. And then can't wait to get to back to more Baker discussion and you know more data points, figure out what he is next year, uh, you know, in the next few weeks. The next few weeks, you think that's when it's yeah, going to happen? That's, okay. it's all going to come together. All right. After we said, don't even, can't even look at it. It's got a, it's, it's a torn labrum. No big deal. Mm-hmm. It's usually a throwing injury, not a contact injury. It's a almost well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people are like, don't even let your quarterback try and attempt to tackle. Like, get the hell out of the way. Just walk to the sideline slowly after you throw an interception. There's some truth. There's some truths to that. On the other hand, like one of the most iconic plays in Big Ben's career is the toe tap tackle to stop a touchdown in the playoff game after it was a fumble 
against Nick? I mean, if it's the playoffs. Oh, the playoffs. That's when you risk the injury? Yes. Okay. Like, if it's the playoffs. Regular season, don't even try a tackle. Playoffs, dive in there. Yeah. Okay. So, there we go. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. It's the Wednesday show, and uh, we appreciate everybody always being here. Don't forget, you get that 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. 25% off any PFF subscription right now. It's our promo code just for you. NFLPOD. 25% off. Thanks to everybody for being here. We'll be back here tomorrow previewing all of the Week 7 NFL action.